The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of True Crime Society Podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is still June 16th. <laughs> We're double recording. Um, I know we've been saying that. I think this is our last double recording. Then we'll be back to normal. It's, I know it's normal for you guys, but not normal for us. And um, not to be the bearer of bad news, but next week we won't have an episode. Uh, going to have a week off to recharge, do some kind of behind the scenes work on the podcast and get ready for the next half of the year yeah and then we'll be back in action full time <laughs> um back to re- regular scheduling after that yes so we also we didn't give a weather update on our last june 16th episode <laughs> i don't think we we, no, it, we, didn't. we didn't do an, an elmo one well, yeah, well, I can do it now. So Elmo is still around. He's still making his way up the road. Um, I've actually been quite busy this week. So by the time I get home in the afternoon, he's usually, I guess, back in his little house wherever he lives. So, But he's still around. He's still eating all the worms and grubs or whatever he is. <laughs> he's still around. He just hasn't been around at our place as much, which is a bit sad. But anyway, still makes my day every time I see him. <laughs> Elmo watch. You need like a shirt, like the the Baywatch lifeguard ones. I just Elmo. saw someone someone sent us a message on our Instagram, and they would listen it into the podcast, and it was something like, "Can't wait for this week's Elmo update or the Elmo Chronicles or something like that." Oh my gosh, <laughs> we need Elmo to do something more exciting. Yes, besides just exist. <laughs> I actually, this is kind of funny. I did see. Um, I think it was a uber eats ad maybe this is a random kind of segue but an uber eats ad i don't know if paris hilton does a lot of the ads here Mm. anyway so she's in an ad for uber eats i'm pretty sure with the irwins like you know bindi and robert irwin oh yeah oh i've seen that i think yeah and robert's holding this giant echidna oh yeah so check that out about it if you have a look that's what you know a big giant echidna looks like (laughs) i think they play it here or maybe i saw it online or something but i've definitely seen it yeah Oh my god, my butt hurts so bad from sitting in this chair. (laughs) Um, Anyway, since we're double recording, I know the one time we did a random question, um, so we're going to do another random question just just for the fucking fun of it. And so we decided the random question would be, if you could be one animal for a day or something, what would it be? (laughs) I feel like my first answer that pops into my head would be a dog, because dogs have the life. They sleep on the couch you know but then I guess I could just do that anyway as a human (laughs) so I don't know my other answer would probably be like a dolphin or something because the deep sea honestly terrifies me as a human (laughs) I think it would terrify me as a dolphin (laughs) (laughs) so I'd love to go and just check it out for a day and then be done (laughs) I think it's funny you said dog because I my like first answer would be a cat because i feel like cats even have it easier than dogs like dogs you can train and they can like learn stuff cats are just like fuck you this is me this is how i am take it or leave it like if my cats are being bad i'd try to tell them to stop being bad but they don't care and i feel like that's how most cats are they yeah. sleep all day they bask in the sun they harass you for food on a schedule they just get what they fucking want when they want it <laughs> 
Um, my fun answer would be, I think, like a sea otter, because whenever you see sea otters at aquariums or even videos of them in the wild, they just look like they're having so much fun, like twirling around, eating their little clams and floating and twirling. They just look so cute. And I just want to be cute and happy and fun. <laughs> That's a good answer. A, sl- a sloth would be quite a good one. They always seem quite fun and, you know, they always look like they're smiling. <laughs> But then they have the worry of like if they fall to the ground they're like toast because they're such easy prey <laughs> yes that's true um all right well that was that was fun <laughs> hope you've learned a bit more about us <laughs> uh, hope that you guys had fun too all right so just get right into it from there this episode we are going to talk about vacation nightmares which aren't necessarily all crimes but you know there's always some weird vacation deaths like we've seen some recently where all those people died at that resort and In last Mexico. year there was yeah, jamaica la- actually jamaica i think yeah and then last year there was some where there was like toxic alcohol so some will just be like kind of weird deaths some will be actual crimes but we figured it was on brand since it's vacation time of year so we got to put the fear in you guys to be careful (laughs) on your trips i think um when i was looking into notes for this we've actually kind of covered a few vacation nightmares already like obviously gabby and brian would be one um judy smith who's another case that we discussed a little while ago would also be one she went missing while on vacation with her husband and was found like hundreds and hundreds of miles away deceased in a national forest Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's crazy just some what actually happens sometimes i don't know if it's because people let their guard down or um i don't know maybe the kind of the decreased routine and stability as well as you know increased alcohol use when you're on holidays maybe might contribute a bit to it i think it's just like more pressure to like do fun things like i'm on vacation like i need to do this excursion or like go out and like make the most of it because you know we only get one vacation a year because fuck the american work system (laughs) (laughs) we gotta make the most of it and i guess too a lot of the times it's been like in in gabby and brian's case and in a few of the cases that we're going to discuss today too it's literally been in a room like or a small space like gabby and brian were in the van you know confined in a room with someone who you may have an argument with or you know those type of things also would contribute yeah like you don't get like a break from like your significant other your family members or whoever you're there with really yeah all right, now let's get into these vacation nightmares. So the first one we are going to start with is about Anne Corky and Robin Corky. So Anne is referred to as Annie. She was 37 years old and her sister Robin was 41 when they left to go on a dream African vacation. Um, they planned to travel through Kenya, Tanzania, and Zanzibar. Their final stop was due to be a luxury island resort in the Seychelles. Annie worked at J.P. Morgan Chase in Denver, Colorado, and Robin worked as a financial trader in Chicago. They are both said to be in good physical condition and were experienced travelers. The sisters posted on social media about their trip. They left for Africa on September 1st, 2016. So according to Seychelles Nation, the sisters planned on vacationing at their final stop at the Maya Luxury Resort and Spa from September 15th to the 22nd, but apparently they were having such a great time they decided to extend their trip until the 24th. On September 20th, Annie, she posted a comment on her Facebook and said to someone, wish you were here. Seriously, best trip ever. So it seems like they were having a grand time. Um, Rooms at this hotel cost around $2,000 per night, so very expensive. 
Do you um, want me to rate a few reviews? Yeah. <laughs> of course, we <laughs> had to get the reviews. <laughs> As usual, I found some. So it gets five out of five stars on TripAdvisor, which is very, very, very rare. The opposite um, of our, our usual reviews. <laughs> so here's one. It says, wow, what a place. Incredible hotel view- views, food, hospitality. Nothing could have been better. We had a premier villa for our honeymoon. They were incredible hosts, so friendly. I made sure that our stay was the most memorable by organizing different experiences for us. It was just perfect. Highly recommend. And then there was another one that says, flawless hotel with impeccable service and food. The anything, anywhere experience is unbeatable. The staff goes above and beyond to fulfill all of your requests. Um, What makes the hotel special is the people. The management is present and caring. The staff is endearing and always here to help. So it sounds like a lovely, and the photos are amazing. So it sounds like a beautiful, beautiful place. Would love to go if I wasn't living in poverty. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I'm not living in poverty, just close to it. Um, So yeah, sounds like a nice place. Their brother, Chris Corky, he told the Star Tribune that his sisters were healthy and adventurous and definitely want to experience life to the fullest. Um, so basically all of the background on that seems like they weren't like novices or rookies or naive travelers. It seemed um, like, yeah, they were quite well educated. You know, they'd done tons of traveling before. This wasn't just a random trip that they had no idea how to act or anything like that in the country. They were very seasoned travelers. Yeah. On the day slash night of September 21st, it's been reported that the sisters were seen drinking at bars throughout the hotel. And from the sounds of things, they got pretty intoxicated. And some reports say they were helped back to their room by their butler. It seems like the butler service kind of came with the room. One of those like all inclusive. Yeah, you got like a dedicated butler to look after you. Yeah. Yes. Um, The following day, September 22nd, the butler returned to the room around 8.45 a.m. And he noticed that the door was still kind of locked in the exact way he left it, which it's like weird to me because any like I guess I've never been to such a luxury resort, but I'm like all the doors, no matter who locks them, look the same to me. <laughs> you know, maybe he even like meant things like you know if there was blinds or shutters, like do you know what I mean? Like basically, yeah. I just take it to mean that nothing had moved since the night before. Like it didn't look like they had awoken. Yeah. Um. So he assumed they were still sleeping, so he left. Um. He returned to the villa midday and became a little alarmed when he noticed that there still didn't seem to be any movement. So he informed his supervisor, and that started the chain of events leading to the police eventually being called. When the staff or police entered the sister's villa, both of the women were found unresponsive. Most reports that we've seen say that they were found laying in the same bed. The police spokesperson, Jean Toussaint, said, From the observation done by our police officers, there was no disturbance in the room, and the two sisters were found unresponsive on the same bed. Preliminary exams conducted on the women didn't indicate any signs of violence or a struggle. Medications in the room were confiscated by police for further investigation. Jean Toussaint, the police spokesperson, also said what the police can say about the investigation so far is that the two sisters were consuming alcohol throughout the day. And the last time they were seen drinking alcohol was around quarter to seven and they were helped to their bedroom by hotel personnel around 8.15 p.m. On September 30th, 2016, preliminary causes of death for the women were released. Robin died of acute pulmon- of an acute pulmonary edema, which is excess fluid in the lungs. And Anne died from acute pulmonary and cerebral edema, which is brain swelling and it causes fluid in the brain, so it swells. Both Annie's lungs and brain were full of fluid, but the excess fluid was only found in Robin's lungs. 
the police spokesperson said officials hope to learn more from a toxicology report that's currently being processed at a lab on Mauritius. The autopsy determined there were no visible signs of injuries found on the bodies. Dr. Judy Melnick told the Chicago Tribune that when we see pulmonary edema, I don't know why I always have to say it like it's a question. <laughs> when we see pulmonary edema, it's a nonspecific finding you see in lots of different things. So if you have an elderly person, it could be from heart failure. So like it's kind of the cause. I mean, it's like the result of a lot of something else. things that could have happened. Yeah. Um, she said poison or drug use could also have been a cause. The brother, Chris Corky, he said, we still don't know how they died. The U.S. Embassy has been incredibly has been incredibly helpful, but there are more answers but there are more questions than answers. On December 3rd, 2016, a final ruling was made in the deaths of Anne and Robin. It says, according to the statement, Robin Marie Corky, 42, died of acute pulmonary edema due to acute combined drug intoxication. Um, and it says the drugs are codeine, morphine, and alcohol. While Anne Marie Corky, 37, died of acute pulmonary and cerebral edema due to acute combined drug intoxication, which is codeine, morphine, and alcohol, so the same things. The manner of death of both sisters has been determined to be accidental. So Anne had been a member of the Denver Synchronicity, which is which is a skating team, um, and they said that she was a beautiful skater with a bright smile, infectious laugh, and an absolute love for life. They said, we lost a beautiful spirit far too soon. We will miss you dearly, Annie. This season is for you. It still just always blows my mind when there's a double accidental overdose like this. Like how could they both have taken, do you know what I mean, like the right amount of drugs to die but not on purpose? It just always is crazy to me that this can actually happen. I wonder how much they had. Maybe it was just like a lot. And like these days, you know, with fentanyl and things like that, especially with fentanyl, it's less surprising, but they had no fentanyl in their system. They literally had codeine and morphine, which, you know, I'm assuming were probably prescription drugs plus yeah. alcohol. It's just crazy that one of them didn't survive. Um, I don't know. It just like is codeine's normally in like cough medicine and stuff. Yeah, and you hear like I don't know if it's this, yeah here like you can get kind of stronger painkillers with codeine in them. Um, mm. They've regulated codeine here, so to get it, you need to you can still get it kind of over the counter at a pharmacy, but they take your details. So yeah, you have to we, show your license so that you can't go and buy 20 packs of codeine a day and things like that. Yeah, same here. Like sometimes I'll be buying a medication and I don't even know it's in it and the little auto machine's like, we need to see your ID. I'm like, <laughs> annoying. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. I would have, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just puzzled still by that one. That's like what we were saying is like sometimes on vacation people just go too hard. You're like, you're like, mm-hmm. got to make the best of it, just having a fun time and overindulge yeah so be careful on your vacations yes don't mix your drugs and your alcohol mm-hmm. so the next case we're going to discuss is the murder of a woman named christy manzanares you may um kind of be familiar with the last final image of christy she can be seen with a suitcase she's got like a coffee or a drink she's smiling um this is when they're boarding the cruise ship it was July 23rd, 2017. Christy boarded an Alaska-bound cruise ship called the Emerald Princess, which is a Princess Cruise Lines ship. She was with her family, um, which was her husband, Kenneth, and their three daughters. I've also read that there were a lot of other kind of extended family on the trip and they were kind of a very large group. It kind of seemed like a family reunion almost type thing or like a yeah. family trip. Yeah. Um, 
Just for some background into them, Kenny's LinkedIn, Kenneth Kenny, said he was working as a licensed sales producer for an insurance company. He had previously worked as a general manager for a company selling folding tables and chairs, which is very specific. <laughs> uh, he said also that he had an associate's degree from Broadview University in sports and exercise. Kenny also had a profile on a Utah bail bond site. It said Kenny has spent the last 12 years living and working in St. George, Utah. Kenny has three daughters and has been married for 13 years, which I think is a little bit old by this point. Mm. Um, Christy was a native of Utah and it says she made her way to St. George by way of Southern Utah University. She has a bachelor's degree in family and consumer science with an emphasis in interior design. She's also a realtor, and this information is from her, bio, uh, her you know, website bio. It says her past experience includes community association and resort management, in which she learned the importance of building relationships and trust through constant communication and top-notch customer service. Her love of touring new homes, interior decor, and a desire to provide positive experiences to new home buyers prompted her to obtain her real estate license in 2010. So I believe when they went on this cruise, Christy and Kenny had been married for around 20 years. Their anniversary would have been in August 2017. I have seen it reported in some articles that the cruise ship was actually an anniversary cruise, but other articles have said, no, that's not the case. doesn't really matter, but I just thought I'd put that in. Hmm. So just for some context, there were 3,400 guests on the ship and 1,100 employees. There's a um, complaint and affidavit, which I'll put on the blog, but it says that the FBI received a telephone call on June 25, which was just two days after they got on the ship, at around 10.13 p.m. from a company security officer for Holland America Group, who, quote, advised that had been appeared what to be a homicide aboard the cruise ship Emerald Princess. A witness named Jen Larson spoke to ABC and she said, they just said, security breach, security breach. We could tell by the sound of his voice that it was something really scary and really serious. Other witnesses spoke to ABC and said that they heard a woman screaming for her life. And Jen Larson said that she also saw one of Christie's daughters screaming. She said she was really scared. She just said, I want to go and see my mum. I just want to see my mum. What's happening? Um, another witness spoke to a news agency called KTUU and he said, I get to floor nine and I see this little girl sitting on, sitting on, I assume her grandmother or somebody, sitting on her lap wrapped in a blanket and she's just sobbing. A man came out from the hallway where it happened and he had a white tank top on and some jeans. His jeans were completely covered in blood and he came out saying, it's not good, it's not good. Poor kids. Ugh. Oh God, I can't even, and like, I don't know, have you ever been on a cruise? No, the the cabins are tiny. Like it's not like they. I've seen pictures. Yeah, it's not like even if they had an adjoining cabin, it still would have been tiny. Like there's no way they wouldn't have known what was going on. Mm-hmm. A witness told security that he went into the couple's cabin and he saw Christy on the floor covered in blood. When he saw Kenneth Kenny with blood on his hands and clothing, he asked what happened, and Kenneth said she would not stop laughing at me. Kenneth then allegedly grabbed Christie's body and dragged it towards the cabin's balcony. The witness told security that he himself grabbed Christie's ankles and pushed her back, pulled her back inside the cabin, and just moments later, security arrived. So I'm guessing maybe Kenny's half-assed plan was to throw her overboard. Maybe I don't oh know. Oh my what god, he would have been like totally unhinged. Yeah. 
It was supposed to be a romantic wedding anniversary cruise to Alaska, but the FBI says it ended in murder. 39-year-old Christy Manzanares was killed in her cabin on the Emerald Princess in what the FBI says was a domestic dispute. Her husband, Kenneth, is in custody. Christy had a severe head wound and blood was spread throughout the room, says an FBI criminal complaint. Her husband allegedly told the witness she would not stop laughing at me. My life is over. Kenneth Manzanares reportedly tried to jump overboard but was restrained by the ship's crew. Christie and Kenneth were celebrating 18 years of marriage. Their three teenage daughters were with them. Passenger Chris Seaman. One of the little girls from that room came running out calling for help that her parents had been in a fight. I spoke with family member Casey Hunt in Utah. Emotionally, it's just hard to comprehend having someone so sweet and so perfect taken in the prime of their life like that. When he was being processed by the FBI, Kenneth said over and over, my life is over. There's a random source who told people that Christy told Kenneth she wanted a divorce on the night he killed her. The source said he had been acting terrible all night and that after Christy asked for a divorce, Kenneth snapped and killed her. KTUU has reported that Christy was found with a severe head wound in a room in which blood was spread throughout on multiple surfaces. She was pronounced dead at the scene approximately 20 minutes later. So the FBI was notified of the incident around 11 p.m. and they sent 12 agents to investigate. Information that came out later gave some details about what likely happened on that night. Two of Kenneth and Christie's daughter were in the cabin. Kenneth told them to leave the room and they both went to an adjoining relative's cabin. A few minutes later, the daughters heard their mum screaming and tried to get to her but were told by their father, don't come in here. They went to the connected balcony and saw their father straddling their mother on bed on the bed while pounding her head with closed fists. The case moved slowly. Kenneth first pled not guilty in August 2017, but by February 2020, he changed his mind and he pled guilty to second-degree murder. In June 2021, he was sentenced to 30 years in federal prison, followed by five years of supervised release. Kenneth had asked for a much shorter seven-and-a-half-year sentence and said that he had bipolar disorder and brain abnormalities. In a court filing, it said that their brain abnormalities were caused by playing contact sports, which is kind of, I guess, on topic for us with our CTE episode. Mm. That, that combined with what at the time was undiagnosed bipolar and a problematic combination of prescribed medication and alcohol resulted in an aberrant episode of violence. Kenneth had also played football, wrestled, and boxed when he was younger and had a history of testosterone supplementation. So I don't really think that's an excuse. but Just maybe a lot of excuses, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> um, didn't they also say, or was it like a rumor, maybe I'm thinking of something else, that he like used like the ladder or something? I don't know. The I haven't bunk heard that. I swear they're saying that he used like the bunk bed ladder. Mm, no, nothing's jumping out. Maybe that was just something surprised me, like, though. Yeah, maybe that was just something people were saying at the time or speculating um so the acting u.s attorney brian wilson of the district alaska alaska said that the murder was not a random act of violence but was a chilling neglect for human life he said while today's sentence will not bring christy back to her family we hope it provides a sense of justice for this heinous crime and brings some closure to those who knew and care about her Kenneth's attorney said in some court documents that the children hold him responsible, but they also understand that his impairments played a major factor in the events that occurred and that they've already lost one parent. He spoke in court, as in Kenneth. He broke down in tears, saying he loved his daughters and his wife and described Christy as his soulmate. He said he was sorry for murdering her and hoped over time he could be forgiven. 
So despite all this, Kenneth didn't spend much time in prison because in July 2021, which was just one month after he was sentenced, he was found dead in his cell. A statement was released and it said Kenneth, 43, was found unresponsive in his cell at the Lemon Creek Correctional Centre around 7am Wednesday and could not be revived. I haven't been able to find a cause of death for Kenneth. I suspect he probably hanged himself which because you wouldn't have access to much else to take your own life. Um, that would be my suggestion for that. There is an obituary for Christy online and Kenneth is mentioned in it. It says her infectious, beautiful smile and sweet, compassionate soul will forever be remembered by all who knew Christy. She made everyone who came in contact with her feel important, special and put a smile on their face. Because of that, she was adored by all and we are blessed to have had Christy in our lives. Christy is survived by her three daughters and her husband, Kenneth. I was just looking more about the latter thing and yeah like i do see it mentioned places like one place is of course fucking web sluts <laughs> <laughs> but someone said on web sluts if we don't all know i hate them um <laughs> there are different reports on how he killed her i've read several times that he bashed her with the removable metal ladder on the bunk beds and like just looking through google like i just searched her name and ladder there's other things that more seems like like forums kind of like another person said um he beat her with the ladder to the pullman bed um drunk husband murdered his wife with bunk bed step ladder so i don't know if that's true or not it seems like people got it from somewhere and i do yeah, remember hearing had that to come but, from somewhere but kind of seems like that's kind of dropped out of the narrative now so i don't know it's very sad for those poor three girls who have lost their whole family now they you know well, their parents so yeah it's i remember that one like when it happened because it was just so like what the fuck hmm. and i i was still so shocked when he died because it was still a long time after christy had died it was just you know a bit of a shock to hear that he had also passed away yeah it's one of those ones where you're like really <laughs> <laughs> like i want you to suffer in prison forever oh god he served a whole month in the end of his sentence Okay, the next one we're going to talk about is Carla Valpios. We first did a blog on Carla and started following her case in 2019. And we are sad to say that she is still missing to this day in 2022. She was a 35-year-old American woman who went missing in Peru in 2018. She was legally blind and she used a cane to get around. But despite her condition, she was very independent. And her goal was to see as much of the world as possible before her eyesight totally disappeared. So she wasn't totally blind, but legally blind, just to clarify. Yeah. She was diagnosed at age 10 with cone rod dystrophy, a condition that causes a person's vision to deteriorate over time. So according to CNN, by December 2018, Carla had traveled to about 20 countries by herself, which is like, is, I hate being like, that's so brave because like we should be able to travel, but with um, a disability and by yourself to me that's very brave because I especially would be a, so scared a sight disability like yeah. yeah it's it's crazy that she you know and great that she was able to get it to 20 countries yeah um I it's dumb but not well it's not dumb I feel like it's a valid fear but it's dumb of me to bring up right now I always think like in the middle of the night if something happened because for those who don't know I wear contacts and I'm like I'm not legally blind but I don't know how I'm not legally blind because I can't see 
anything without <laughs> my contacts or glasses. My prescription is like a negative nine something, which is really, really bad. But I think like in the middle of the night, like what if something happened and I couldn't get my contacts? Like if I was abducted or like if there was a fire, I'd be so screwed. Or if there's a zombie apocalypse, like <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> so that's why to me, like being able to travel so much, being technically legally blind is like amazing. Yeah. She studied Arabic in Egypt, worked with abandoned children in Yemen, and traveled to remote villages in Indonesia to advocate for indigenous women. Her family said she always dreamed of visiting Peru, but she hadn't been there yet. So when Carla heard that her friend Alicia was intending to travel to Lima to take part in a wedding, she jumped at the chance to tag along with her. Carla bought an outfit for the wedding, and she set off with her friend in December 2018. Like, Carla, were you invited to the wedding? Like, like, relax. (laughs) Carla spent the last part of their vacation by herself hiking Machu Picchu. Even though Alicia advised her that she shouldn't go alone, Carla set off. There was a window of panic where nobody could get in touch with her. But finally, after 12 hours of silence, Carla replied. She said the Wi-Fi was terrible, but that she was fine. There was one strange text to Alicia that said... I had a big issue that I need to resolve that I'll do bef- I'll do it before I get home. Alicia last heard from Carla on December 11th, 2018 via text where Carla spoke of her travels. She said, I can't wait to tell you all about it. It was absolutely worth it, 100%. After that, her family didn't hear from Carla for a few days, but they didn't panic until she missed her flight back home. CCTV showed Carla leaving the hostel where she was staying in a cab in the early morning hours of December 12th. She hadn't told any of her new traveling companions where she was going, and she left behind her belongings, including medications, in the hostel, so it seemed like she intended to return. Later, police would learn that she had taken two cabs. The first driver dropped Carla off at Cusco Street, where people ride-shared taxis headed to the Sacred Valley. The other driver said Carla was in his collective taxi. She got off in the valley's first village, Pisac. The it's kind of it's like sounds dumb again to be like it's good that she had this cane and stuff because I bet yeah. it made her more memorable, more distinctive. Yeah, like for these, I'm sure these cab drivers see a billion people a day, but when you see someone and she has a cane, and it's easier for you to remember because she stands out more. Yeah, out of the ordinary. A camera outside of a drugstore in PSAC captured the last known image of Carla. It shows her walking quickly with her silver folding cane for 14 seconds. This was about an hour after she left the hostel. She was heading in the direction of the PSAC Archaeological Park. It's a 22,000-acre historical site, so it's a big area with lost space. There's Incan ruins, tunnels, massive agricultural terraces, so a lot going on there. No sign of Carla has been seen since. None of her belongings have been found. Carla's family have searched tirelessly for her since they heard of her disappearance. Um, Peruvian police first pursued the idea that something happened to Carla in the park. They used drones and cadaver dogs but didn't find anything. A team of Peruvian police detectives are currently working together to find Carla along with a special prosecutor, and they now believe that Carla never made it into the park, actually. They believe someone took or lured her to one of the many ritual sites in the region where tourists try an intensely hallucinogenic and sometimes deadly potion known as ayahuasca. The hallucination-inducing drug ayahuasca has been used for centuries by tribes in South America during spiritual ceremonies. But as it becomes more mainstream for those seeking optic and auditory hallucinations, what exactly is it and how does it affect your body and brain? 
Ayahuasca is actually a combination of the leaves of one plant and the vines of another, neither of which have any hallucinogenic power on their own. But the leaves do contain DMT, which is structurally similar to your neurotransmitter serotonin and to the chemical found in magic mushrooms. The problem is, your gut enzymes normally deactivate DMT before it's absorbed into your bloodstream, and this is where the vines come in. They inhibit your gut enzymes from working properly and allow DMT to travel within your blood and eventually cross the blood-brain barrier. The effects of the drink usually hit around half an hour after consumption, with hallucinations peaking after one hour and subsiding within four to six hours. But these hallucinations are reported to be different from drugs like LSD and shrooms in that most people are fully aware that they're visually hallucinating. In addition, instead of hearing voices, the sounds heard are usually exasperations of the noises already occurring around them. And unlike those who consume LSD or shrooms for a good trip, many who drink ayahuasca are seeking to reconcile with their thoughts and emotions, as well as past and present traumatic events. Afterwards, most feel more at ease with their thoughts and more accepting of their present situation. Carla's family disputes that she would have wanted to take drugs. They believe Carla was sexually assaulted, kidnapped, or was the victim of either human or organ trafficking. Her brother said, I have no doubt in my mind that my sister was a victim of a crime. There's other tourists that have been reported missing from the area. There was two men who were arrested a few weeks after 28-year-old Natalie Salazar Ayala went missing. They claim she had died in a zipline accident and that they dumped her body in a river, yet her body was never located. Jesse Galganov disappeared while backpacking in the Peruvian mountains in 2017. So the question is, what happened to Carla? Did her failing vision call her, cause her to become injured in an accident and have her remains just not been found? Did she attend an ayahuasca ceremony and people are covering up that she could have died from that? Could she have been involved in foul play? That's the question. Um, one of the most recent articles that we found on this case is from January 2022. In the article, her brother says, Carla was a very loving person. She was an adventurer of the world. She was a student of the world. She devoted her life to helping everybody that she came in touch with. Her brother says Peruvian police have haphazardly worked off two theories. One, that she had an accident at the archaeological park that was covered up or the one that he believes, which which is that she that there was foul play, that there was abduction, or that she was murdered. Um, an interviewer asked him, what do you believe the motive would be for her abduction or murder? And he said, I think that comes from a very basic level. I think that there was an opportunist that came across my sister the morning of December 12th, and he wanted to either sexually assault her and rob her, and things went wrong. I do believe that she is buried in the mountains of the Sacred Valley in Peru. He also said the FBI needs to open an international cooperation case. The authorities in Peru need to accept help from the U.S. government. I don't think that I'll ever see my sister again. My family and I have had to deal with that on a very personal level, and it's been very, very difficult. However, we're not giving up. We're doing everything in our power to bring her home regardless of what state she's in, and eventually we are going to pursue justice. So the U.S. State Department official gave out a statement, and they said... Um, the welfare and safety of U.S. citizens abroad is one of the highest priorities of the Department of State. We are aware of a U.S. citizen missing in Peru. We are in touch with local authorities on their search efforts and remain in close communication with the family. We will continue to closely monitor the situation, but due to privacy considerations, are not going to go into specifics at this time. Seems like a bit of a non-statement, really. It seems like, a, yeah, we're dealing with it. 
Yeah. And especially because, like, you know, I get there's private, like, actually, I don't really get it. I was going to say, I get there's privacy concerns, but essentially, she's a missing person. They could surely give an update into the and investigation. What Her family's yeah. out talking about it. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like they're actually giving private details about Carla. They would be giving details about the investigation. They're acting like um, it's like HIPAA or something. Yeah, it's very strange. I know that people do like these crazy ayahuasca things, but I feel like that kind of came out of left field. I guess it's just a possibility that they have to discuss, but um, yeah, I feel I I also agree. She probably met foul play. Someone targeted her because she was vulnerable. Um, yeah, like saw she had a disability and yeah, took advantage. So the final case we're going to discuss today is the case of missing American man David Snedden. This is a case I've actually followed forever, as long as I can remember. It's one of the earliest cases that I started following when I got into true crime. And I really feel like this is a case where the truth is crazy, unbelievably stranger than fiction. Like it's just crazy. Yeah. So... Um, David Snedden was a 24-year-old man who went missing in 2004 while he was on vacation in China. He was a BYU student studying Mandarin, which I think is why he traveled to China, and he was last seen in August 2004 in China's Yunnan province. The dates that he was last seen vary. Some reports say August 10 and others say August 14. doesn't really make a difference, but just to note... He had originally traveled to China to take a summer class and improve his Mandarin. He already spoke fluent Korean and was planning on becoming an international lawyer. This info about David is from Newsweek. It said, David, then 24, was last seen on August 14 in a Korean cafe in Shangri-La in the city in the Yunnan province of China near the Myanmar border. He had just finished a hike at the Tiger Leaping Gorge and told the owner of the cafe that he was making his way back to Chow to pick up his bag. I hope that's right. <laughs> to pick up his bags from a youth hostel and to continue his journey through China. So he travelled for a while through China with his friend George Bailey. The pair separated on August nine as they had different travel plans. So this was just a few days before David disappeared. George has said that David was a wonderful, adventurous, fun-loving and outgoing person. He said that throughout their stay in China, there'd been no sign of danger. And he said, we both felt very safe. We thought no Chinese would ever touch an American because there would be trouble. So David was last in contact with his family on August 11. I know we said that he may have last been seen on August 10, but he last spoke to his family on August 11. He'd been in touch with them regularly and would write them emails each week. David had plans to meet up with his brother Michael in South Korea on August 26, and when he didn't show up, his family alerted the police. The police went to the hostel where David had been staying. They found his backpack and his plane ticket still there. He apparently only had a fanny pack on him when he was last seen, which his family said he would have been carrying a toothbrush, the Book of Mormon, and a travel guide or a map. There had been no movement on his bank account since early August. David's family traveled to China to search for him. They found a group of tourists who said a, quote, young Westerner who had studied Mandarin at university joined them for about three hours in August before leaving out on his own. A Korean woman who owned a cafe in the region where David was last seen said that she had seen him and that she spoke with him in Korean. The woman described David as having meager funds and after multiple visits to her shop, he told her, goodbye, I am leaving, as he prepared to return home. Chinese authorities initially said that they believed David fell into the Jinsha River. When James Snedden travelled to the area, though, he said he found this hard to believe. The hiking trail that David had been following was more than one mile from the river, which made that scenario unlikely. 
This info is from the Salt Lake Tribune and it gives some information about David's alleged plans and the search for him. It said, when David Sneddon disappeared in 2004, he was believed to have fallen and died in Tiger Leaping Gorge. He had left some extra gear with an innkeeper and was planning a two-day trek through the gorge, which was a rugged and treacherous trail popular with intrepid backpackers. About 200 Chinese searchers combed the gorge. Two bodies were recovered, but neither turned out to be David. According to a report his family received from the U.S. Embassy in Beijing about a month after he disappeared. So while David's father was searching for him, he became suspicious that the Chinese government may have suspected that David was involved in the Underground Railroad, which was kind of involved in smuggling people out of North Korea through China and eventually to Laos or Cambodia. David had a friend that had been asked to leave China in the past. This info again is from the Salt Lake Tribune. It said one of David Snedden's former mission companions had stayed with him for a few days after the Chinese government asked him to leave the country. So I, I, I think that his father kind of was insinuating that maybe the Chinese believed he was involved because of his shady friend and, you know, different mm. things like that. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, the family thought that he was on the radar of possibly North Korea and China. The search for David went on for many, many years. So he went missing in 2004. Over a decade later, in 2016, Yahoo News Japan reported that David had been spotted in North Korea. The article said that he is believed to have lived there where he works as an English teacher and he has a wife and two children. Following that report, the US State Department announced they would start searching for David in North Korea. A source told The Independent that David had been kidnapped by North Korean operatives and he'd worked as an English tutor for Kim Jong-un, who was the heir to the country's dictatorship at the time. David's family have said that they believe the Kim regime sought him out because he was fluent in Korean. A man who was living in South Korea married a North Korean defector and he called the Snedden family to tell them that he believed he had seen David in Pyongyang. Representative Chris Stewart, who was on the U.S. House Intelligence Committee, said in 2016, the evidence indicates that there are still a lot of unanswered questions about David's disappearance. David's family deserves answers to those questions, and until we find those answers, I will continue urging the State Department to pursue all possible explanations for David's disappearance. A North Korean foreign ministry spokesperson denied all of these allegations in October 2016, and they said, this is just a plot hatched by the Obama group, destined to sink like the sun setting due to the total bankruptcy in its hostile policy, can't even speak, it's so many words, (laughs) due to the total bankruptcy in its hostile policy towards the DPRK, which is North Korea, to dramatize the non-existent human rights issue and to tarnish its international image. We flatly deny and categorically reject this far-fetched assertion as a swindle, which does not even deserve a passing note. (laughs) Someone sounds defensive. (laughs) Um, Kathleen Snedden, who's David's mother, spoke to the Salt Lake Tribune in 2016. She said, we as a family are concerned, of course, about David, but our hearts, our thoughts, our prayers go out to the people of North Korea who've been held in subjection without freedoms, without adequate normal essentials, for living a pleasant life, food, clothing, or housing. We just feel all of North Korea needs to have something happen there, and we would hope that somehow David could be David being released could help this. So despite them believing as of 2016 that David is in North Korea, as of June 2022, he still remains missing. Um, there hasn't really been much media in the case since 2016. The most recent article I can find is from June 2021, um, and basically it just says that 
his brother James Snedden doesn't believe that David was killed or died in China and that he believes that he was abducted and taken to North Korea. Kind of interestingly and on topic to this, I've actually just finished a book by a North Korean defector, Yonmi Park. Um, I've actually posted about it on my Instagram. It was a really, really interesting read if it's something that you would like to learn more about. She was born in North Korea. Her family lived there and just their life. I just can't even believe that people are actually living a life like this. It's just horrific. The things that they have to go through, no power, no food. She talks about things like having to eat insects um, to stay alive, basically. The book is called oh, In wow. Order to In Order to Live by Yonmi Park. I just feel like a lot of people don't actually realise what happens in North Korea and how horrific and terrible it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, I feel like David's case seem unbel- un- seems unbelievable because you're like, how could that actually happen? But, you know, it's so hard to get out of North Korea once you're in there. Um, I yeah. feel like it could definitely absolutely be what happened to him. So, yeah, I feel like I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't, but I could definitely see that happening because North Korea is always up to some bullshit, <laughs> to put it lightly, simply. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I I always think about the book. It's it's quite a short read, but like she she ended up escaping through China actually from North Korea, um, and she's only twenty eight years old now. So she's mm. lived a real crazy life. Did she leave Even, her family, or they got out too? Uh, it's a long story. So her father passed away. <laughs> her father passed away. She escaped with her mother, but they couldn't find her sister for years. Anyway, mm. not to make a spoiler alert, but eventually they found the sister. So she now is back with her mother and her sister, um, which oh, is good. good. So, yeah. Maybe I'll give it a read. Yeah, definitely check it out if you're looking to learn more about what is just an unbelievable country. Yeah. Hmm. On that note. <laughs> <laughs> a little history lesson um that's all we've got for this episode we might do another vacation nightmares one um we were gonna have this be two episodes but then decided to have it be one but it's another one where you could find endless stories about terrible things happen on vacation sadly so if you guys are into that let us know if you want to hear more stories like that everything will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com Definitely check that out if you want to see pictures, videos, learn more about the cases. Um, follow us on Instagram. That's where we post the most updates. Um, you could check out our personal accounts, TCS Olivia and Steph Sum underscore. They're linked in the TCS bio on Instagram. Um, so you can learn a little bit more about us. If you haven't left us a review, a rating, do all that. Please subscribe to the podcast if you're not already which you should be because i always ask you very nicely (laughs) and as always please share the podcast share to your instagram stories tell a friend about it sharing is very helpful to us helps us get more people listening which is what we live off of basically (laughs) um and check out our sponsors obviously they'll be linked in the episode description if you ever forget any of the codes or anything just feel free to shoot us a message um but yeah that's it like you said we will be off next week so i know that's very sad news like please don't cry too much about it (laughs) just re-listen to some old episodes to get you through (laughs) oh yes definitely listen to them many times um but then we'll be back in action for a long time we've got some good things planned actually for the next episode after our break we'll be talking about two kind of cult Mm-hmm. Um, cases again, Teal Swan and the uh, kind of, I guess, 
discovery of baby Holia who had been missing for yeah. 40 years. Which like somehow has a cult involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's got everything. It's, that would Crazy be a great yeah. story. But yeah, everyone's really into the cult one. So I figured we would do another one, come back with a bang. So look forward to that. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we will talk to you in two weeks. See ya. Bye.